Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning, and welcome to the Flatline. I am your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next few minutes, I'd like to invite you to stay with me. A small time this morning of motivation, some inspiration, some education, all done without any type of manipulation. So we don't ask you for money. We're not trying to con you. We're not trying to sell you anything. We're not soliciting anything. We're just here to give you some information. Information that it is my prayer would help you verify as well as identify God's plan for your life. And if you're able to do that, then I'll be very happy about that. That's my job, to be accurate, to get it right. Not some type of human, useless human speculation, but to give you the accurate information from the Bible, the Word of God, the canon of Scripture. And I know the last thing you need to hear is another show about the Bible. I know that. I understand that. I don't blame you. But uh, this is not like what you've heard before. This is a little different. So if you'll hang with me, listen to me, I think you'll learn something. And if you learn something, you can always apply it into your life. The flat line is your main line of resistance. It's your your uh, forward line of troops, we call it. Flot, F-L-O-T. It's you learning 10 unique problem-solving devices found in the Word of God. When you learn these 10 problem-solving devices and use them, or what we say deploy them, then you can stop the outside sources of adversity before they become the inside source of stress. That's why we always say adversity is inevitable and stress is optional. Adversity is what happens to you in life. You can't control it. But stress, you can control. You do not have to worry. You do not have to be afraid. You do not have to be bitter. You do not have to live in guilt. These are all self-induced. And quite frankly, a lot of the adversity we create ourselves by mismanaging our money or mismanaging our health or mismanaging our personal relationships with other people. We create a lot of the adversity. But thank goodness God has given us a supernatural life, a way to live that's unbelievable. It's simply called the Christian life. And I know a lot of Christians that are pretty unbelievable, that's for sure, because they're weird. So I'm not talking about that. But I am talking about this supernatural life that God gives you that can be empowered by two things. It can be empowered by his word as you learn it, live it, and use it, and empowered by the Holy Spirit as he lives inside of you and guides you and teaches you and produces in you what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. So the two things necessary to live the supernatural life is God the Holy Spirit and God's Word, assuming that you have indeed accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You know, there's only one way to God. Jesus Christ himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. I'm aware that Hollywood today mocks that, mimics that, makes fun of that, There are a lot of people that make fun of someone talking about being saved or someone talking about being born again, and they try to marginalize that whole thing so they don't feel guilty and they don't have to think about that. But it is in the Bible. It is real. The Word of God is real. And those who mock it or mimic it will learn one day the hard way that you do not mock God. The Bible says clearly God will not be mocked. And just because they don't evaporate the day they say it doesn't mean they're getting away with it. 
And so you keep this in mind, too. God will not be mocked in your life nor in my life. He expects certain reverence. He expects certain things. And, you know, people make fun of politicians, whether it's the current president, the current administration, or the past. They make fun of them, get on television, talk about how weird they are, run them down. And the same people will also make fun of God and anyone who professes to believe in Christ as one of those Bible-thumping, born-again type Christians, one of those weirdos. Another attempt to demonize you, marginalize you, shut you down. Well, don't pay any attention to that. They're the ones that will be in trouble, not you. If you just do what the Bible says, grow in the grace and in the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you can be used by God. You can be used as an anchor in this generation, as a pivot to hold this nation together. But you must understand what the Bible talks about. Last week, uh, we talked about the term spirituality. What does it mean to be a spiritual Christian? And basically, I told you that if you are filled with God the Holy Spirit, you are a spiritual Christian. If you are under control of your sin nature, you are a carnal Christian. When you confess any known sin in your life, you are rebounding or using problem-solving device number one on the flat line of your soul. When you rebound, as per 1 John 1, 9, it says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. If you do that, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. When you sin, you quench the Spirit. When you sin, you grieve the Spirit. And when you name the sin, you are filled with the Spirit. And of course, people say, I can't remember every sin I did. I've heard that before. However, the Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all, all wrongdoing, even the ones you might not remember. And so let's get that right. You cannot be a mature believer unless you are a spiritual believer. Spirituality is essential to become a mature believer. Spirituality is related to the filling of the Holy Spirit, and that's an absolute concept. So right now, as you're listening to me, you are either spiritual or carnal. If you're spiritual, there's no unconfessed sin in your life. If you're carnal, there is unconfessed sin in your life. But maturity, a different word, not spirituality, but the word maturity, this word is related to the content not of the Holy Spirit, no, but to the content of the Word of God in your soul. So it's relative. Some people may be more mature than others, but no one can be more spiritual than another one. I cannot be more spiritual than you, neither can you be more spiritual than me. I can be more mature than you, and you can be more mature than me, related to the content of God's Word in our soul. Listen to Hebrews 5, 11 through 14, when we talk about becoming a spiritually mature believer. The writer of Hebrews had been trying to explain how the Lord Jesus Christ is our great high priest. And apparently, uh, you know, there was a dumbfounded look on their face. And he felt the recipients would not understand this advanced Bible doctrine that he was teaching them. So uh, he backed up and punted, shall we say, and this is what he wrote. He wrote, we have much to say, and it's difficult to explain since you have become sluggish in your hearing. For though you should in fact be teachers by this time, 
you need to relearn the basics. In other words, the rate of forgetting had exceeded the rate of learning. Excuse me, I just took a drink of hot chocolate to soothe my throat. So the rate of forgetting had exceeded the rate of learning. And he said, you've gone back to needing milk and not solid food. The milk drinker here is inexperienced in the message of righteousness. God's basic character attribute that he must be satisfied. You see, until the righteousness of God is satisfied, the justice of God must judge you. And you don't know that sometimes. People think they can satisfy God's righteousness. They can equal God's righteousness by being good or doing good things. And that's not true because the Bible says all of our righteousness is like a filthy rag in God's eyes. So he said, you've gone back to needing milk. You don't need solid food. You're, you, uh, you, you're a milk drinker. You're inexperienced. Solid food is for the mature believer who can ascertain the difference between good and evil, the writer said. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever grown weary of playing the game called church? Have you grown weary of trying to stay pumped up for Jesus, but only playing a role in your life, you know, acting like you're really on fire for God? You go to church, and everybody's on fire for God, and they're all saying, Hallelujah, brother, praise the Lord, brother, amen, brother. Do you find all that stuff kind of like phony? Have you ever wondered just what all that stuff really means? You know, somebody says, why don't you just let go and let God, brother? Okay, let go, let God. Now tell me exactly, what are the mechanics for doing that? And they may something like, well, just turn it over to the Lord. Okay, tell me how to turn it over to the Lord. Well, just pray about it. Okay, how do I pray about it? They don't know. They have all these cliches, all these terms, all this role model bit trying to act spiritual, sound spiritual, look holy. Do you ever feel that you're not really as mature as some of these people in your church? Maybe they're not the mature believers you think they are. You know, if someone knows all the sports teams, you know, like the players and the stats and the scores, that's very interesting. But but if, if they can't find the book of Lamentations, you know, over there after the book of Jeremiah, that they don't know the score of the last game. In other words, they know their favorite college football team beat this team by that much, but but they don't know where to find a verse. It's a matter of priorities. That's what the whole Christian life is about. It's a matter of priorities. And what time you have, it's a matter of you setting the priorities in your life so that you fulfill the plan of God so that when you check out of here, you don't check into heaven having saying, well, where were you? You want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. So academic discipline is necessary if there's going to be priority in your life. Academic dis- discipline was a real priority for my pastor. I mean, he demanded concentration and pounded, pounded, pounded me with repetition. And not unlike some of these famous football coaches like Paul Bear Bryant, whom I played for in the 60s, or even Coach Nick Saban at Alabama today, or other great coaches. People that produce a lot of winners. People that produce a lot of coaches that go on to get their start under these people. 
Well, my pastor produced a lot of top quality pastors that are in the pulpit today. They came out under his ministry because priority for him was academic discipline. Spiritual maturity. If you want to be a spiritually mature believer, you have to remember that your spiritual life was not designed to depend on someone else for guidance. You must learn how to deal with every problem you face, every adversity, even the prosperity. You have to be able to handle all of them without leaning on someone else. So if you're going to be a spiritually mature Christian, and that's a question I could ask you, really, are you a mature believer? And, you know, in your humility, you'd say, well, no, nobody's really a mature believer. We all are trying, brother. We're all growing, brother. Well, I don't know about that. If you, you know, this writer of Hebrews said you've been a Christian a long time now and you ought to be teaching others, but you're not. There is a time in your life. How many years have you been saved? Have you known Christ for 20 years, 30 years, and yet you still are not a mature believer? You still don't know your way around the Bible? You still couldn't quote certain books of the Bible or find them? Or you still don't know the essence of God? You still haven't learned those 10 unique problem-solving devices? Listen, spiritual maturity occurs in three stages. It starts with spiritual self-esteem, where you develop self-confidence as a believer. It goes into spiritual autonomy, where you have um, self-independence and then spiritual maturity. This is what God wants you to do. I had to learn this as a young believer. I had to quit depending on other people to tell me how to live the Christian life. I had to get under a well-qualified pastor, study God's Word, learn God's, learn God's Word, and make those decisions for myself. Because without spiritual self-esteem, then you are going to be manipulated by other people. Once you get saved, like I did, we usually spend a certain amount of time trying to figure out what's next. It took me almost a year. I was on an emotional high for like a year, but I kept falling, and I kept messing up, and I kept making mistakes spiritually, and I kept being frustrated with myself, thinking I thought I was a Christian. Why do I think that way? Why do I want to do that way? We may even get into a good church, or sometimes we get into a good circus. It depends. And we don't establish consistent momentum. There's no growth. We don't grow to spiritual self-esteem. You know, that means I hear God's Word consistently, and I keep God's Word consistently. I develop some self-confidence. I develop independence. You see, what am I hearing? What am I being fed? How fast am I growing? Those are the questions you should ask yourself. I mean, are you growing on an hour a week? You're going 30 minutes on Sunday morning, 30 minutes on Sunday night, and you're growing to be a mature believer? You're kidding yourself. Nobody can grow on an hour a week. And you say, well, but, but I do my daily devotions for the Lord. Well, good. What, a 15-minute devotion in the morning? Listen, the Bible is a textbook. It was designed to be taught to you, not you to read some daily devotion, get a little good thought for the day, and off you go to serve Jesus. That's not being a mature believer. A believer must grow. The Word of God must take root in your soul. You must develop spiritual self-esteem and know the problem-solving devices of God. His Word. Use His Word effectively so that some way, sometime, you can have some spiritual skills in your life. 
Once the Word of God starts taking root in your soul, once it starts circulating in your mind and, and you start thinking about it, you think that you change the way you think, you begin to think in the mind of Christ, you develop new norms and standards, not the old human norms and standards, I promise you things will quit being fuzzy. Things will come into illustration, into focus in your life, and you will begin to see God's plan for you open up and develop. But with spiritual self-esteem, you can also have some contentment, and that begins to be an indication of your capacity for life. You're not looking to win the lottery. You're not looking to make a fortune. You're looking to serve God. You know, Paul said, everything I've done, I counted all as dung, except for the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. When you have contentment like that, even in the middle of any unfair circumstances like he was facing, where people were trying to destroy his effectiveness, when you have that kind of contentment, that only comes from spiritual self-esteem. Only through that, you must turn into a professional, not a child. You must be a professional Christian, a spiritually quiet professional as a believer in Jesus Christ so that your impact as a Christian can take place among other believers who don't have the information. You see, once you become a spiritually self-esteemed believer, you've got spiritual strength and you can begin to execute the, the plan of God. You can begin to execute the mechanics. What's the very first mechanic you have to execute? The faith rest drill. What's the second one? Well, let me back that up. The first one should be rebound. You should learn how to rebound your sin, mechanic number one. Mechanic number two, you know how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Every time I rebound, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Mechanic number three, learning how to use the faith rest drill. Learning how to have grace orientation. Learning how to have doctrinal orientation. These are all part of the flight line on your soul. Figuring out what your personal sense of destiny is. These things all come as you grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as you have the courage to advance, you have self-assurance. Your courage and your poise will be marked by composure. And that's self-assurance. Yes, you'll have humility. I mean, if you don't have some humility, you can't learn anything. But once we develop the spiritual self-esteem in our lives, then we become meaningful people. We have a purpose. We have a definition. We have divine viewpoint, not human viewpoint. Divine viewpoint. And, and this divine viewpoint gives us some spiritual common sense. What is spiritual common sense? Well, it's doctrinal orientation. It's taking the Word of God that you've learned and applying it to the situation you find yourself in. And uh, not, not flipping a coin and say, heads I do this and tails I do that. That's not common sense. That's depending on luck of the draw. So your priorities must be staying filled with the Holy Spirit, taking in God's Word every day under a well-qualified pastor, I might say. Every day. You did hear that. Every day, not once a week. And learning the protocol plan of God, producing spiritual skills. If you're a believer and you have spiritual self-esteem, then you can reach a personal sense of destiny. And that's a great problem-solving device. It might not be fully developed, but you'll get there. 
you're going to be vulnerable to what all of us are vulnerable to, sins of arrogance. And I know when I started learning God's Word, I was very vulnerable to this because I wanted to straighten everybody out. I would see all the goofy stuff, and I didn't buy into it. And I wanted to straighten people out. They weren't interested in being straightened out. They thought I was the goofy one, and I probably still am the goofy one. But, you know, we become vulnerable to this and our arrogance because we get fueled by our emotions, and then we fail. And if we don't pick ourselves up from failing, then we're done. As believers, we can just go sit in the corner and cry about it. You know, when we develop spiritual self-esteem, when we develop some spiritual common sense, it, it frees us up from the spiritual bullies in the church. We're not distracted, and we're not depending on other people. You know, um, as a believer, there are some risk factors for us. One of them, in fact, is our own arrogance, our own arrogance complex that we have in our soul where we justify what's wrong and and we deceive ourselves into thinking we're right and get totally absorbed with it. Those arrogant skills of self-justification, self-deception, self-absorption, they will destroy you if you allow them. And we're very, very vulnerable to emotions as a criteria for the way we are spiritually, as if uh, I feel good today so I'm close to God, and I don't feel good today so I'm not close to God. The Christian life doesn't, doesn't roll around on emotions. Emotions are an appreciator. They're a wonderful thing that God gave you, but they're not how you determine spirituality. So if you get around someone that's very high emotionally for Jesus and and they look like Jesus and they talk like Jesus and they're all the time high-fiving you for Jesus, that doesn't mean they're a mature believer. It means they live by their emotions. But spiritual self-esteem is the first step along the road to spiritual maturity. And then you have to come to spiritual autonomy. You know, in 1 Timothy 6, the Bible says in verses 6 and 8, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out of this world. And having food and clothing, with these we should be content. Spiritual autonomy is contentment with what God gives you. It's a capacity to enjoy what God gives you. Philippians 4.11, Paul said, Not that I speak in regards to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. This is the key to capacity for life. Without contentment, you have no capacity. Contentment is the key. And when you learn God's Word and develop some spiritual self-esteem, you can actually be content or be patient as God's plan unfolds for you. Spiritual autonomy means that you have a perpetuated mental stability. And that's the key to advancing spiritually in your life. It's your ability to think about God's Word, to cycle God's Word through your soul when you're under pressure so you can have some courage. Your mental stability by standing on the Word of God and using the faith rest drill is insulation against any sort of psychoses or neuroses or any sort of psychotic tendencies. It will stabilize you. Your mind will be stabilized, and you won't be hurt by those that are close to you, and you won't be threatened by those that hate you, and you will be oriented to God's grace if you have spiritual autonomy.
Do you know your limits? Do you know those? You're not, you're not threatened by superficial nonsense, are you? You do have personal control of your own life, don't you? You don't let other people control it for you. You're not possessive, are you? Unless authority calls for it. Spiritual autonomy. Mentally stable. Standing on your own two feet. Not running to the preacher every time the doors open asking him what you should do. And then spiritual maturity. Becoming a winner believer. Becoming an invisible hero. Using all of your spiritual skills and having a maximum impact on human history. Going through evidence testing in your life. That's a divine objective for all believers. That's the commander's intent. From hundreds of verses that we read in the Bible. For you to become a Bontura believer and to be totally independent of any form of counseling or human encouragement, you're going to always need a pastor to teach you God's word. You're going to always need a pastor to feed you because you are a sheep. Just like me, we're sheep. We have to have a pastor. But we don't need a shoulder to lean on. We don't need a good buddy to be our counselor. We don't need a good buddy to confess our sins to. The Bible doesn't authorize that. When we become to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we're members of the royal family of God, and we faithfully execute God's plan for our life. We could be classified as invisible heroes because the impact in human history that we will have as a stabilizing force within the client nation, that's what God wants you to do, to be the anchor or the rock that holds this nation together. Remember that verse, if my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face. Remember that? My people, my name. It's a direction you have to go. You can glorify God to the maximum because God is able to pour out great blessing in your life and it won't distract you. You won't turn away and follow the fame and follow the fortune. And you can glorify God by passing evidence testing and becoming a witness in the middle of the angelic conflicts. Spiritual maturity, growing in grace, represents maximum spiritual growth in your life so that now you begin to really take on the identity of Christ. You begin to represent Christ, glorify Christ while you're in this earth. And you represent him to your friends, to your community, to your family. Spiritual autonomy, spiritual self-esteem, spiritual maturity, all the way to spiritual growth. That's what's important. Spirituality and maturity, two different things. Spirituality, are you filled with the Spirit? Maturity, how much of the Word of God are you learning and applying and using in your life? Until next week, this is your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for listening to The Flatline. Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.